And all of God's people said, how many of you today love your nation? Come on. Amen. How many of you this morning love your Lord? Amen. Amen. Well, our nation is in desperate need of our Lord. Uh, this is our, our, our missions week, a missions month, really, missions emphasis month. Uh, we always target uh, a, a particular country, uh, a particular need, a particular project, uh, uh, such as Nigeria, Nepal. Uh, last year was Vietnam. Uh, we, we have done so many different things to, to reach and, and, and do what God said and go into all the world. Amen? Amen. But this year is going to be a little different. We are living in some unprecedented times. Our country needs the Lord. And so this year, our target is America. We've got a a project this year called One Nation Under Attack. And we are under attack. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so all of our focus, all of our effort, all of our giving this year is going to be to reach our nation. Uh, The light that shines the farthest should shine the brightest at home. Amen. Amen. And if we don't do something to turn our nation around, there's going to be other nations that's going to have to send missionaries to here. Amen. And so I want you, if you have not picked up a brochure, make sure you get one of these brochures before you leave. If you wasn't here last week, make sure and get a brochure uh, because we, we, we have got to turn our nation around. And all God's people said, well, join me in prayer. As we pray that God will be honored in this service and and that he will get all the glory out of what's done today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your your love and your mercy. We are so grateful for your word that teaches us uh, what we need to know. Lord, I'm glad that your word says that we have a promise and that you will be with us. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, you turn it with us wherever you will. Lord, they can't change this country in the White House. They can't change it in the Senate. Lord, it's not going to be changed in Congress. Lord, it will be changed from the church house. God, I pray that you will touch our nation, touch our country. Use us, use us, Lord, to be an instrument of grace to reach our nation. And God will thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' precious name, we ask all these things. Holy Spirit, don't allow us to say anything we shouldn't. And Lord, don't let us forget anything we should. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Psalms 33, 12. Psalms 33, 12. Read it with me. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's all five of us. So let's try it all together. Everybody together. Psalms 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Again. One more time. The Mayflower Compact of 1620, the earliest of the great American documents, is a religious document. It begins in the name of God, Amen. And says their purpose was for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. And the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony. Jamestown, the first permanent English settlement, was a commercial venture. Not a religious one, but still, the largest building at the very center of the settlement was the church. Services were held twice every day, morning and evening. On Sunday, services lasted five hours. I don't want to hear nothing else from y'all. Attendance at the services were mandatory. Absence from service meant no food ration that day, and repeated absence was punishable by public whipping. Yeah. Samuel Adams, the organizer of the Boston Tea Party, said in 1772, the right to freedom being the gift of the Almighty, the rights of the colonists as Christians, may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutions of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. George Washington, in his first inaugural address in 1789, called on the nation to remember their reliance on God. He said the propitious smiles of heaven 
can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. John Adams, the second president, wrote to Thomas Jefferson on June 28, 1813. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. And that those principles of liberty are as unalterable as human nature. John Quincy Adams was a man of faith. On July 4th, 1821, he said the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity. From the the day of the declaration, the American people were bound by the laws of God, which they all, and by the laws of the gospel, which they nearly all acknowledge as the rules of their conduct. Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president. The foundation of our society and our government rests so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in those teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Dr. Donald S. Lutz and Dr. Charles S. Heinemann made an extensive study to determine which books of the founders relied upon for the basic ideas that went into the formulation of the United States Constitution. They reviewed an estimated 15,000 items and closely perused the political content of 2,200 books, pamphlets, newspaper articles, monographs, which were published between 1760 and 1805. The most significant items were selected, which amounted to 916 articles. These were carefully analyzed and numerically coded as to the content, as well as the references cited by the leaders of that era. It very quickly became apparent where the focus of interest was concentrated in the minds of our founding fathers. It says of the thousands of citations quoted to support their ideas, this is in the formulating of the constitution. Of the thousands of citations quoted to support their ideas, 34% came from one source, the Bible. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Of the first 108 universities founded in America, 106 were distinctly Christian, including the first Harvard University, chartered in 1636. Harvard, like many of these institutions, was begun primarily as a place for educating the clergy. In the original Harvard student handbook, rule number one was the student seeking entrance must know Latin and Greek so they could study the scriptures. This is what it says. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, according to John 17, 3. And therefore to lay Jesus Christ as the only foundation for our children to follow the moral principles of the Ten Commandments. That was in the student handbook at Harvard. Listen, Alexis de Tocqueville said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers. And it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests. And it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her rich mines and her vast world commerce. And it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school system and her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Congress inserted under God in the Pledge of Allegiance in 1954 in order to combat the rise of atheistic communism and reaffirm that America was founded on a belief in God. In God We Trust was inscribed first on U.S. coins in 1864 under President Lincoln. And in 1956, Congress made it the national motto of the United States. Since at least the 1820s, The U.S. Supreme Court has opened its court sessions with the prayer of God save the United States and this honorable court. Since George Washington first added, so help me God to his inaugural oath, every president since has likewise asked for God's assistance at his inauguration. 
Since the Supreme Court's building was constructed in the 1930s, a marble frieze on the south wall of the courtroom was fe- has featured Moses with the two tablets of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Since its first meeting in 1774, Congress has opened its sessions with prayer, usually given by its official chaplains in both houses. Since 1775, with the introduction of the chaplaincy into the Army and Navy, every branch of the U.S. Armed Forces has provided chaplains to facilitate the worship of God in our military. Why? Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. On October 3rd, 1789, one week after Congress approved the Bill of Rights, President George Washington recognized the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, to humbly implore his protection and favor. Therefore declared a national day of public thanksgiving and prayers to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Our first federal judiciary was established by the Judiciary Act of 1789, which required federal judges to end their oath of office with, so help me God. From 1795 until the 1860s, Christian church services were held on Sundays in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., attended by such presidents as Jefferson, Madison, John Quincy Adams, and Lincoln, and many other government officials. A statue of Moses holding the Ten Commandments is featured in the rotunda of the Library of Congress. The Ten Commandments are symbolized in the floor of the National Archives building in Washington, D.C. In front of the Ronald Reagan building in Washington, D.C. is a sculpted figure leaning on the Ten Commandments. An inscription reads, Our liberty of worship is not a concession nor a privilege, but an inherent right. A cross in the Ten Commandments are sculpted on a large trilon in front of the E. Barrett Prediman uh, Federal Courthouse in Washington, D.C. Based on the Thanksgiving tradition started by the pilgrims and recognized by other presidents like George Washington, President Abraham Lincoln declared the last Thursday in November 1863 as a day of thanksgiving and prayer to our benefit, beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Our nation has been abundantly blessed by our Father in heaven. Our natural resources, our abundance, our wealth, uh, the power that we have as a nation is not because we are a better people. It's not because of any other reason, but this nation was founded on the principle of Christianity. One nation under God. One nation under God. The Bible is true. The Bible is accurate. The Bible is correct when it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Say it with me. Say it again. One more time so you remember. And all God's people say it. Psalms 917, Psalms 917, we read a while ago that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, right? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalms 917, read it with me. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Say it again. Whether you know it or not, you're preaching right now. You're preaching the gospel. You're preaching truth. Say it again. From 1775 to 1783, our Continental Congress issued 15 proclamations. Without exception, each humbly beseeched Almighty God in their endeavors. Our founders held church services. Only Christians were permitted to hold public office. America was certainly born a very Christian nation. Our First Amendment prevailed over many court challenges, settled much early legal precedent. America coexisted with God for 150 years until 1947. In 1947, against all court precedent, 
against the Constitution of the United States, nine Supreme Court justices declared separation of church and state. America became a secularist nation, a government without God. This created a new court precedent for the incremental moral decline of America. They completely ignored America's heritage in pursuit of their agenda. In 1952, the Lyndon Johnson Amendment forbade pastors to speak politics in the pulpit. In 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court banned school-sponsored prayer in public schools. Now, they took prayer out and just, just add in school shootings. The 1962 decision saying that it violated the First Amendment. In 1973, with Roe versus Wade, the courts allowed the mass murder of babies in their mother's womb. In 2003, we witnessed the removal of the Ten Commandments monument from the courthouse in Montgomery, Alabama. Constantly, displays of religion on public property are under attack. In 2015, the Supreme Court spit in the eye of God as it legalized same-sex marriage. 2015, we decided to have same-sex bathrooms. Today, judges penalize Christians who refuse to cater to same-sex weddings. Today, we are arresting worshipers that are worshiping outside in an outside forum. We're shutting down churches while leaving strip joints open for business. We're telling churches you can't worship. We're telling people you can't sing when you go to church. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying our nation has forgotten God. Our nation has forgotten God. In a proclamation by the President of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln, for a national day of prayer, he said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power, as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave a controversial commencement speech at Harvard in 1978. The speech caused much consternation for many listening at Harvard, for many people in the United States also. They expected to hear the horrors of Soviet communism and the praise of Western culture. Instead, the people heard criticism of modern Western culture. He called the West spiritually sick. His greatest criticism of the West was about the rise of secular humanism, decline of moral values, hyper-individualism, excessive freedom. To be sure, he did continue to criticize communism, and he continued to criticize Western culture for the rest of his life. The summary of what is wrong in communism and Western culture, according to him, was men have forgotten God. Men have forgotten God. Over a half century ago, he says in his acceptance of the 1983 Templeton Foundation Award, this is what he said. Over a half century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of old people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God, and that's why all this has happened. Since then, he says, I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I have read hundreds of books collected hundreds of personal testimonies and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisively as possible, the main cause of the ruinous revolution that uh, swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat men have forgotten God. And that's why all this has happened. Our president said men have forgotten God. A man who came out of Russia said 
The reason Russia is in the place it is in, the reason for the rise of communism, the reason for the disaster of the revolution is simply men have forgotten God. All of these things just prove the Bible to be true, that the wicked shall be turned into hell in all the nations that forget God. I would submit to you today that in the beginning we were one nation under God. One nation under God. There's no question. There's no no denying the founding of our country. There's no question about God's hand on our country. There's no question about God's blessings on our country. People are killing themselves trying to get in our country. People are trying to sneak in any way they can. And let me tell you something. I don't blame them. I would want to be here too. Why? We are a country of opportunity. We are a country of blessing. We are a country of favor. God's hand has been on America. But I would also submit to you today that our nation has turned its back on God. Our nation has forgotten the God who has created it. And let me tell you, there are consequences to your relationship with God. I want you to watch this video and tell me this is not true. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we will be one nation gone under. Oh, you put that because you're a Republican. I put that because it's true. I don't care which president said that. If Obama or Clinton would have said it, I'd have posted it too. Because truth is truth. It's not about politics. Listen, it's not about whether you're a Democrat or a Republican today. We're all Americans. Listen, the tragedies that's taken place in our country will affect Republicans and it will, it will affect Democrats. Our nation is on its way to hell. It doesn't matter what your affiliation is. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your background is. One nation that forgets God will be a nation that goes under. Now let's read the verse again. Let's read the verse again so we do not forget. Psalms 9, 17. Read it with me. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God... How many nations? How many? That means even America. That means even America. Our nation will not last beyond our relationship with our God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. It sure is. It sure is. I want to read. Two bits of scripture. And I'm going to say some things. I'm going to say some things that might be a little offensive. Thank you, sir. And I'm going to say some things that may seem a little negative. Pessimistic. Uh, But please don't take it that way. Before you make up your mind about what I say... Hear everything I say. Amen? Uh, so don't, don't get caught up in the beginning and just... Pfft. Hear me out. Hear me out. Our nation is in a mess. Our nation is in a mess. Uh... I would like to say that America is everything it should be, but it's not. I would like to say America is a Christian nation, but today it's not. You know, our last president made a a comment and said, this is no longer a Christian nation and everybody got mad. But he's right. 
Let me ask you a question. If this nation was truly a Christian nation and operated as a Christian nation and Christians were what they should be in this nation, do you think we would be seeing what we're seeing today? He was right. Do you think there'd be the transgender agenda in confusion that we see today? No. Do you think we'd see people mistreated the way they are today? No. And, and please, please hear me out right now. Hear me out. Anything that's done for God, I'm for. Okay? Anything that's done for God, I'm for it. Anybody that tries to do their best for God, I'm for it. Does everybody understand that? Say amen. But hear me out. Hear me out. There was a lot of people posting. There was a lot of people posting about the rally in Washington, D.C. I'm for prayer. And I'm for anything that promotes the scriptures, God, the Bible, morality, repentance, forgiveness, change. Somebody say amen. But if you think a big group of people going to Washington and having a worship service is going to change our country, you're sadly mistaken. I appreciate the prayer walks that was, happened here in Coleman and happened in other places to coincide with the rally in Washington. But if you think that automatically our nation is going to change And God's going to magically touch and change and fix everything. That's not going to happen. Number one, because God didn't say to do it that way. God never said anywhere to do a rally. God God never said anywhere to have crusades and revival meetings. Now I'm, I'm for them. And anytime the gospel is preached, I'm for it. But do you know we've been having revivals and crusades for years and years and years and years? We've had rallies and rallies and rallies. But look where we're at. Now let me give you the reason. This is the reality. Because God said in His Word, in the Great Commission... Go ye into all nations. Are y'all with me? Let's put it up on the screen. Now watch. Now please stay with me. Don't nobody even say, preachers against prayer. He's against rally. No, no, hear me out. Let me finish. Watch. Jesus came and spake unto them saying, read it with me. Stop, stop, stop. Go ye. Ye. It don't say go y'all. It says go ye. This means this is an individual commandment. This is an individual responsibility. Oh, he's talking, he's talking to pastors and evangelists and missionaries. No, there was none then. There were no pastors. There were no evangelists. There were no missionaries at this point. They were only believers. There was only disciples. There was only students of the Lord. There was no seminaries. He's speaking to whoever's following Jesus. Are y'all with me? He says, go ye, go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, in Acts 1.8, in Acts 1.8, the disciples are really excited. They're really anxious. They're wanting Jesus to set up his kingdom on earth right then. And they come to Jesus right before his ascension. And they say, are you going to set up your kingdom now? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father's put in his own hand. 
He said, but Acts 1, 8, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnessing to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What did he do? He told them again. He gave them a command. He gave them a responsibility. He, he is telling every believer to go. Now, let's go back to the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28. He said, all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Are y'all with me? Stay with me. And then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Now watch this. That's King James. Let's talk Alabama. Here's Alabama. Y'all go to the highways and hedges. Go to the courts. Go to the classrooms. You go to the marketplace. You go to the schoolhouse. You go to the factories. You go to Walmart. You go to WDG. And make disciples. Tell them your story. Tell them God's story. Tell them what Jesus did for you. And tell them what Jesus can do for them. Oh, I feel God all over that. Say amen. Go tell them. He didn't say, go have a rally. He didn't say, go have a crusade. He said, you as an individual, go to an individual and witness of the power of the gospel, simply saying, go make disciples. I'm for rallies. I'm for marches. But if all them people that went to Washington come back home and they sit in their recliners and they go to church as usual and they go through the same routines, what they did in the Washington, listen, at the monument, all of it was a waste of time. Because God will never do for us what he commanded us to do. God's not going to go do the witnessing for us. God commanded us to do it. Now he did say, I'll go with you. All power is given unto me. And then he says, and lo, I will be with you always. Are y'all with me? So all I'm saying is this. If you're looking forward and praying and hoping for November 4th to fix our country... Forget it. I've lived through Democratic presidents. I've lived through Republican presidents. I've lived through both of them. And our country's still going the wrong way. You know why? Because elections don't solve anything. I'm going to vote. And I pray that you'll vote. And I pray you'll vote and pray before you do. I'm not saying don't be a citizen. Somebody died so I could, so I am. But but that's not going to fix our country. You can get every big politician and every big celebrity preacher you want. And you can go to Washington and you can pray and spread it all over Facebook. But if you come home and you don't go make disciples, you don't go share your faith, you don't witness under the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to change. Because that's the way God said to do it. Now watch watch how this works. Watch how this works. Our country, our country, our nation is a reflection of our cities. Our cities are a reflection of our communities. Our communities, watch this, are a reflection of our churches. Our churches are a reflection of our Christians. As the Christians go, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes the communities. 
As the communities go, so go the cities. As the cities go, so go the countries. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm tracing. I'm tracing the downfall. I'm tracing the devastation that's happening to our nation, that's happening to our country all the way back to the failure of our Christians. The church is not respected anymore. You know why? Because the nation, the people in it, look at Christians as hypocrites. You know why? For so many years, we have been hypocritical. For so many years, we tell them not to while we still did it. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, let's do our job. Let's go and make disciples. How are we going to change this nation I'll tell you how. One disciple at a time. Let me, let me put it to you this way. A disciple is one that makes disciples. You with me? A true disciple is one that makes disciples. Right? Now watch this. If a church, let's go back to the churches. Okay, 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 okay. How many of y'all believe our country's in a mess? It's worse than what y'all just acted like. Mash you again. How many of y'all believe our country's in a mess? How many of y'all believe our communities and our cities are in a mess? How many of y'all believe that our churches are dropping the ball? This is why. Do you realize the number one commandment given to the church, to every individual Christian, go make disciples? Do you know what the the majority of Christians in America thinks that their main responsibility is? Watch this. You know what most Christians in America thinks their number one responsibility is, is to go to. And you know what they're doing? Going to church. We have somehow falsely interpreted the scriptures to believe that you are saved for the purpose of going to church. That is as foolish as believing that all of the two-a-day practices in football, all of the training, all of the exercising, all of the weightlifting, all the practices, all the sweating was for the purpose of having a good pep rally. The pep rally is to encourage you to get ready to go on that field and bust somebody's jaws. The game is the purpose. The game is the point. Can you imagine if we did all of that work and all of that effort and all we ever did was have a pep rally? What does that have to do with the church and the Bible? You see, God created the church, what we know as the church, our gathering. You and I are the church. We're the body of Christ. But God invented the assembling of ourselves together. This was God's idea. I'm not telling you this because I want to see more people in the house. No, this was God's idea. He's the one that said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Right. But what is the point? But exhorting one another. Say it with me. But say it again. Everybody say it. Say it again. You know what exhorting is? It's encouraging. It's encouraging. Listen, why do you think the coaches on the sidelines, when when things get a little rough and down, they walk up and down the sidelines and do this? 
What is the coach doing? He's not exercising. He's trying to tell the people in the stands, hey, help. We need some cheering. We need some support. We need you to help us. You know why? Because them boys on the field know when they start hearing the cheer, when they start hearing their names called, when they oh, they make them run a little harder, make them run a little faster, make them hit a little. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what exhorting is. We don't come here. This is not the point. Church is not the end of the issue. It's where I encourage you to go out there and make disciples. Go ye into all the world. Teach all nations. The phrase teach all nations means make disciples. Make disciples. Now watch. I want to I I give you this outline. Y'all know you're going to get one before you leave. Number one. I know things have been pretty dismal. And when you start looking at the downfall and the moral decline of our country, you turn on the news, you see it's a mess and it's so depressing. I'll usually turn on my, turn on my computer first thing in the morning. And I got my blood pressure medicine. It's all there. I'm ready to go. Got my little, my water right there beside it. And Dustin come in and he looked and saw it was on the news channel or on the news page, whatever it's called. He said, don't do that to yourself. He said, preacher, you're going to get discouraged right off the bat. And I'll tell you, if you do, you will. Because it's a mess. But I got good news. I got good news. You see, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, number one, we have power. We have power. Say it with me. We have. Come on, everybody. We have. How many of y'all know it's going to take a lot of power to change this nation? Well, guess what? We got it. We got it. How do you know? What does it say? Matthew 28. Matthew 28, all power. Say it with me. Say it again. How much power? You know what that means? Whatever you need. Whatever you need. All power is given unto me. Where? In heaven and in earth. Now watch this. Jesus is saying this to the disciples right before he gives them their responsibility of go making disciples, right? But now watch what he says in Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive. You see, in, in Matthew 28, he says, I have all. In Acts 1.8, he's saying, now I'm giving you. We're not anemic in this deal. I, I'm, not, I'm not dependent on my ability. I'm, I'm not dependent Oh, my intellect, thank God. I'm not, in, I'm not dependent on my education. I'm not dependent on what I have physically, naturally to change our country. I'm dependent on his power. Are y'all with me? And we have a promise. We have a promise. At the end of Matthew 28, He says, and lo, I will be, I will be always. You know what that means? When we go out to make disciples, when we go out to make disciples, I got power to do it. And I got a promise, Ms. Calvert, that he's going to be with me. Now, let's, let's admit it. Let's admit it. We're not making disciples. We're going to church. And we feel like we're filling out our obligation as Christians because we go to church. But your obligation is to make disciples. 
Our nation is not the way our nation is because of the drunks. Our nation is not the way it is because of the transvestites. Our nation is not the way it is because of the addicts. Our nation is, I've not had, I've not had one single drunk get mad at me because I didn't wear a suit on Sunday. I haven't had one meth addict complain because we didn't have Sunday school. You know, the only problem I've ever had when I'm trying to do something for God and trying to do my best to do whatever it takes to reach people, Christian people, or let me say religious people. The problem in our nation is not the heathens. It's the hypocrites. Because we're so proud of the fact we went to church. But let me ask you a question. How many people is going to be in heaven because of your influence? How many disciples have you made? You see, a disciple is one that makes disciples. If you're not making disciples, you're not. Listen, if you're not making disciples that make disciples, you're not making disciples because disciples make disciples. Do you follow that? Now, I'm saying that on purpose. Because what if this crowd, this crowd, ain't a bad Corona crowd, say amen. But can you imagine if everybody in here, everybody in here just made a disciple out of one other person? Which basically means to share your story, share your testimony, what God's done for you, and then share what God's done for them as in the gospel, right? Jesus dying on the cross for them, winning them to Christ, and then teaching them to win somebody. Can you imagine how fast we could turn our community around? If we just became the disciples that Jesus expects us to be. Can you imagine how fast we could turn? Hey, can you imagine how fast we could turn our church around? But then if we kept making disciples, our community would be turned around. And this community, if this community got full of disciples that were making disciples, it would spread out into other communities. Does this make sense? This is how we're going to change our nation. This is how we're going to change our country. It's not by having rallies. It's not by having crusades. It's by doing what God has called every single individual child of God to do. And that's go and make disciples. And all God's people said, we have power. But then B, we have a promise. I will be with you. He didn't say I will go for you. Did y'all catch that? Remember what I said? He's not going to do what he's called us to do. That's why we've had revivals and we've had crusades and we've had rallies and we go back to keep doing the same thing and nothing has changed in our country. I mean, let's think, this ain't the first rally we've had. Am I right? But our country's still the same. You know why? Because all them people came back from Washington and kept just going back to the same routine. They just kept going back to what they did. They never started making disciples. They just prayed. Instead of going to our neighbor and telling them what Jesus did, we would just say, God, save our neighbor. Did y'all catch that? God said, I will if you'll go tell him. I want to save him, but I told you to witness to him. God's not going to do for us what he commanded us to do. So we can have all the rallies we want. We can have all the marches we want. But if we fail to come back home and start making disciples, it's not going to change our country. You know what the definition to insanity is? To continue to do the same thing, expecting different results. And all God's people say it. Let's be honest a minute. Let's be honest a minute. How, how many of y'all, how many of y'all are kind of scared? Let's just, it's just us. It's just us. How many of you have been afraid to witness because you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing? Maybe just, you, they're going to ask something you don't know. 
or you're just afraid to say, come on, raise your hand. Everybody, don't be afraid. It's all right. You know what God showed me a long time ago? It's not me. I don't have to say the right thing all the time. Now, it's good to know what to say. It's good to memorize some verses. But it's up to him. He's the one does the saving. Right? How many of you in here have never heard the story of when my grandma got saved? Raise your hand. You raise it high so I can see. Oh, that's plenty enough. Rest of you act like you heard it. Never heard it. When I was 17 years old, I surrendered to preach. And I was scared of people. I'm still kind of frightened of y'all. Say amen. I mean, it, it's, crowds make me nervous. But I was really scared then. And I couldn't believe God was calling me to preach. There's no way that, man, I'm, I can't get up in front of all them people. And when I said all them people, I'm talking about like 40. Much less 2,000. I said, God, are you, are you sure about this? I told my dad and make a long story short, dad said, son, the only way you're going to learn how to do it is get in there and do it. And so I surrendered to preach on a Sunday and he had me in the pulpit on Wednesday. Wednesday. And so I'd get up and I, had, I usually had a, a little three, three or four minute, five minute sermon. I was the favorite preacher of all of Bethel. Wednesday nights became real popular. Amen. Because dad wouldn't get up and preach behind me. He, that'd be all the preaching that happened that Wednesday night. Whatever I did. And so they was all thankful I was there. Things have changed. Amen. But I would sit right there and I'd come up and I'd do my little sermon and I'd go back and sit down and, and dad would do everything. I mean, from the leading of the service, the invitation. How many of y'all kind of grew up in old time church? Where at the invitation, pastor would come down and, and deal with everybody, right? Well, you can do that with about 70 people, but you can't. You got to have help when you get a little bigger. Well, at that time, dad said, all right, son, me and your mother is going to Cocoa Beach. I said, well, that's wonderful. He said, on Wednesday. So you got everything. I said, everything? He said, yeah, everything. You got to lead the service, do the invitation and everything. I have ne- This was on Sunday. From Sunday to Wednesday, I prayed that Jesus would come back. Please come back, Lord. I scared to death. He said, nope, you got it. You got it. I said, okay. So that Sunday, and and you got to understand, for years and years, I'd prayed for my grandmother to get saved. She'd come to the Christmas pageants, and and I I I would pray, oh, God, save grandma. She never did. She never come forward. Well, all of a sudden on a Wednesday night out of the blue, I don't even, I don't even know how she knew I was going to be the one leading everything, but she walked through the doors and man, that made it worse. I was even more scared and I, I did my little message, my little sermon and I'd watch my dad. He had done invitations a thousand times and I'd watch him how he'd done it. You know, he would call and he would, if you need to come, if you're seeking the Lord, I mean, he would just call just like an evangelist. If you need to come, you come. So I thought I can do that. But I was still scared. And so I was scared everybody out there. So I come down to the front and I said, if you need to come, I wouldn't even look up. You come. And inside I'm thinking, don't come down here, please. I want you to go to heaven, but not tonight. Amen. Let somebody else look. I'm ashamed to admit that, but that's the God's truth. I'm scared to death. I'm a God called preacher. Scared to death. And all of a sudden, I seen feet at my feet. And I thought, oh, no. And I looked up, and it was my grandmother. It scared me so bad. I said, what do you want? God, is my witness. Man, I was doing good. Next Billy Graham, what do you want down here? She said, I want to get saved. I lost everything. I lost all train of thought. I couldn't remember. I mean, y'all see me quote verses all the time. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember Romans Road, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10. I couldn't remember nothing. All I could remember for some reason was John 3.16. I said, Grandma, for God so loved the world, she quoted the rest of it. 
I said, that's all you need to know. Let's pray. <laughs> After the service, I, I went home and I called dad. I said, dad, grandma, come forward. And I think she got saved, but you better see if it took. I don't know. I don't know if I did it. <laughs> and she never missed another service. Was faithful. Love God. Love church. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying I did everything wrong. I did everything wrong from the beginning to the end. If you was to write a pamphlet that says this is how not to do it, that's how I done it. And she got saved. And you know what I learned that night? It's not me. You see, the power is in Jesus. If you will make yourself available, God will do the rest. If you'll just be willing to share what Jesus has done for you, God will do the rest. Preacher, I don't know everything. You don't have to. I don't know every verse. You don't have to. Jesus told the demoniac, just go tell him what I've done for you. How many of y'all in here are saved? Come on. Raise your hand. How many of y'all are saved? You know without a shadow of doubt, you're born again. I mean blood washed, born again. Names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All right. Raise your hand real high again. Come on. Now, all right. How many of y'all was there when it happened? Come on. How many of y'all was there when it happened? Guess what? That's all you got to tell them. Do you know what happened? If you was there when it happened, you know what happened? You, you know what a witness is? It says, you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the earth. You know what a witness is? Someone that just tells you what happened. Just tell what happened. Hey, I, I didn't, I was depressed. I was discouraged. I was angry all the time. And then somebody told me Jesus would forgive me and help me. And I asked Jesus to forgive me and help me. And he saved me. And now I'm not depressed. Now I'm not angry all the time. My life has changed. It's that simple. How are we going to change America? One at a time. We have power. He said, I've got all power. Acts 1-8, now I'm giving you that power. We have a promise. I'm going to go with you when you do it. You're not going to be by yourself. When you go witness, when you go share your story, when you go witness, I'm going to go with you. Say amen. And last of all, I'm way over time, but I got to give you this. We have a plan. We have a plan. We're not just trying to do this thing willy nilly. We have an actual plan to turn our country around. Here's how we're going to do it. Three things. Write this down. I'm not even going to preach. I'm just going to say it. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. Every time the disciples got into trouble or got into a predicament in the book of Acts, they prayed. And guess what? Every time they prayed, God moved. And all God's people see it. So we're going to pray for our country. We're going to pray for our leaders. We're going to pray for our president, no matter who he is. We're going to pray for our leadership. We're going to pray for our Congress. We're going to pray for our senators. We're going to pray for our mayors. We're going to pray for our sheriffs and our police captains. We're going to pray for everybody in authority. We're going to pray. Secondly, we're going to participate. We're going to participate. Say that with me. We're going to. Everybody. Everybody. I know that's not a favorite word. Say it anyway. I need you to do more than show up. We need more than one or two disciple makers in this church to change our community. We need to all become disciple makers. Well, I don't know how to do that. I'm going to train you. We're going to start a new training center uh, in a few weeks on Wednesday night. And I want you to join up. We need some disciple makers. The election is not going to change our country. A rally is not going to change our country. A march is not going to change our country. But I guarantee you this, if we start making disciples in our communities 
Our communities will change. If our communities change, our country will change. Yeah, but we're just Coleman. Guess what? I'm speaking to pastors in Ohio. I'm speaking to pastors in Virginia. I'm speaking to pastors in Atlanta. I just got through. Uh, and this is, listen, this has been on my own time. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm not telling you something I want you to do that I'm not willing to do. Spent my own time on Thursday with a, with a call for a long time with a group in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, who are getting on fire to go make disciples. It's going to be a grassroots movement. It's not going to start at the top. It's going to start in our churches. And it's going to start in our communities. And that'll change our country. And all God's people see it. Then lastly, we can provide. We can provide. We need your help. We We need to buy books. We need to buy training material. We need to be able to send these guys to all these different communities to help train disciple makers. I wish I could go into every state and every community, but I can't because I still have responsibilities here. But we can send people. So we need your help. 